0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. One of my children, I think it was my second son, Zachary, said to his brother one day when he was very young, You're not the boss of me. Every younger child has said that to their older sibling at one time. Every little sister, every little brother has had to say to the older sibling, the older sister, the older brother, you're not in charge of me. You're not the boss. Abby and I love the way that Zachary said that. uh, You're not the boss of me. Um, And we have forever kept that turn of phrase in our home. Um, I might say something like, um, pass the salt. And my wife will coyly remind me that I'm not keeping very good manners. And she'll say to me, You're not the boss of me. And I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. Will you please pass this off? Say it the proper way. You're not the boss of me. For thousands of years, the church has had a schedule of readings from the Bible to be read in churches on Sundays. It's called the lectionary. And it, it sets up usually one Old Testament reading, one psalm, one letter from the epistles, and one gospel reading. And it goes through this cycle of, of reading through as a, a large portion of the Bible in a three-year cycle. So you get through three years and you've covered you know this enormous part of the Bible. I told you, though, last week that the little book of Ecclesiastes gets really overlooked. It only gets two readings, and one of them is on New Year's Day. I mean... Let me just be honest with you. Even when New Year's Day falls on a Sunday, it's pretty sparse around here, you know. So if you came every Sunday to church, you might only hear from Ecclesiastes one time in a 12-year period. Now, if you contrast that with, say, Genesis, which gets 31 readings, or Isaiah, which gets 51 readings, you can see that one paltry little reading is not enough. And i am trying to think about why that is the case, and I, I think it's... I think it's largely because religion has become tepid and the lectionary follows right along with it. I think we need a robust religion. I think we need robust readings from the Bible and robust sermons. I can't always promise the latter, but I will try on the former. You know, So I decided for a few weeks to say to the lectionary, you're not the boss of me. You know? It's not really. We're allowed to vary from it a little bit, and so I am. Um, but still, uh, I, I welcome you this morning to the rogue Anglican church that is, has departed from the Old Testament reading for the day. Ecclesiastes is a jarring book if you read through it. I mean, it is, um, it is pessimistic and cynical. It's jaded and sometimes crass. It, it's, a, it's a tough book to work through. Um, there's a, I read where one, um, one Vietnam uh, army chaplain said, that the soldiers under his care would only permit readings from Ecclesiastes. (laughs) They were so angry and so upset that they wanted to hear nothing else. So I guess it's sort of a buyer beware. If you're the kind of person who likes to open up your Bible and just plop your hand down and look for some, you know, little golden nugget of delight, this is probably not the place to go. Um, This is a a, a harder uh, road to hoe, as they say. Um, You might get something like this. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Or emptiness of empty, everything is nothing. Here's says chapter 7, verse 2. It is better to go to a home where there is mourning than to one where there is a party. Because the living should always remind themselves that death is waiting for us all. Oh my word! Or how about this one? When things are going well for you, be glad. And when trouble comes, just remember, God sends both happiness and trouble. You never know what's going to happen next. Man, what a buzzkill, huh? I mean, this is going uh, kind to of difficult stuff. I think the point of the lectionary is to kind of get us into these hard places. To force us to read things we otherwise would skip. And so it, it, it is sort of, you know, had not done that with Ecclesiastes. And that's my, my dec- decision to, to move us into this little book for a few weeks. The author of Ecclesiastes calls himself Kohelet, the preacher, sometimes translated. I told you I like the teacher. I think think that's probably a closer way to understand Kohelet. Um, He's he's the king, he tells us. And I said last week that I think you should imagine that the king of Jerusalem has called up the dean of the University of Jerusalem, the U of J, the home of the fighting Hebrews. And he's called him up and he said, come on, that was good stuff. He calls him up and he's like, you know, I want to do, I want to do a master's class on life. Last week I said life 101. I don't think so. I think it's, I think it's life 501. I think this is, this is for graduate students. This is, this is having understood all the things you get in a, in an education. Now, what does it mean to live well? And he says, I'm going to do, the, the, the king does, I'm going to do a master's class. I'll give you a, a, a lecture once a week. And what we have here are somebody's copious notes. They took good notes about these lectures and, and put them together for us in a book. In lecture one, um, I titled Why I Hate My Job, <laughs> Kohelet tells us the problem with work. It's a theme he comes back to again and again and again. Lecture 2, chapter 4, verse 1. And I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they too had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors was power. And there was none to comfort them. The ugly face of oppression, human cruelty, meanness, vile behavior. Uh, just uh, maybe a week or two ago, I was watching this um, World War II documentary on TV. I love World War II documentaries. I don't know why, but I can't get enough of them. And I was watching this one, and it was called After Hitler. The things that, that um, we discovered as a world after the Third Reich had been destroyed. And um, it was amazing, the things that we had learned, most of which was totally revolting. There was, of course, the concentration camps. And so they they had real footage of... Of people who were being arrested and people who were in the camps, the um, the sheer brutality, the way that people were humiliated, um, the, the brutal behavior, cold-blooded murder. I mean, as I said, horrific. I think Kohelet would have said, "See, that's what I'm talking about. These poor people who had no one to stand up for them. They were oppressed by by a brutal power. It happens." People are cruel. And this is what happens to those of us who live under the sun. Do you know who lives under the sun? We all live under the sun. This is is Kohelet's favorite phrase, under the sun. What goes on under the sun. It's not always the same as what's happening on the other side of the sun. And he gets to that. But life under the sun is somewhat predictable, and it's predictable in this way. People suffer. Kohelet says, life is full of suffering. People suffer under the sun. People suffer in this present world. I love that line from the Princess Bride. When Wesley, who's dressed up like the Dread Pirate Roberts, if you have not seen this movie, how dare you, schedule a meeting with me. We'll have to watch it together. Wesley says um, to Buttercup, and he's dressed up like the Dread Pirate Roberts, and he says to her, life is pain. He says, Highness, life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Kohelet could not have said it better himself. And if maybe you thought that religion kind of gets us around that, you know, that there's a pass you get from religion, if only we can work this thing properly, well, then we'll avoid suffering. I have really bad news for you. It doesn't work that way because religious people also live under the sun. So when we see bad people suffer, we scoff and we go, ha, karma, got you, didn't it? Reap what you sow. Cam, and got you. But what about when good people suffer? You know what we say then? Nothing. We have no words for when good people suffer. And good people do suffer. Good people do suffer. Last week, good people out enjoying a night with friends. All of a sudden, a gunman shows up and begins to shoot them. This week, good parents said goodbye to their children that they loved, who were killed for no reason, or at least no good discernible reason. Last week, good people just out buying groceries and clothes and needed things are gunned down because of the color of their skin. And good people this week suffering the loss of family and friends. Good people suffer. And Kohelet says this kind of suffering cannot be soothed away. It cannot be easily comforted. For some people, they see this sort of suffering. They kind of go through the mental calculation. And they say, well, if this kind of suffering is, it exists, then God must not be real. It usually is when it touches them. It's like they knew that other people were suffering all along. But when it comes home and becomes personal, all of a sudden, no, well, no God, God, How could God allow such things? Kohelet doesn't go there. He doesn't give up on God. But neither does he run away from the reality of pain. He allows his students to sort of feel that difficulty, that reality that's facing them in their own lives, because he knows that some of them are going to suffer. Indeed, they are all going to suffer. Look what he says next, though, in verse 4. Then I saw that toil, that's a work, and skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. Most of what happens at work is about getting ahead of one's neighbor. Kohelet says, this is his story. The teacher says, I've been involved in this. I've been involved in the same system. Young students eager to make a way in the world. You are going to do the same thing too. We're going to be involved in this system of oppression that comes from personal selfishness. We're going to be involved in this system because we're going to want so much that it's going to hurt somebody else. Only because we're, we're, we're trying to not only keep up with the Joneses, but surpass them. And you can just hear the mental wheels going as the students say, well, what should we do? You know, just give up and go home and, you know, watch television? No, he says. He says the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. It leads themselves to ruin. Better's a handful of quietness than two hands of, of toil striving after the wind. I think Koalitz says that we ought to leave room for leisure. You know the the Latin word for business is not leisure. <laughs> it's the opposite way. You know they're like well, you're off duty. You know you finally get off of what you're supposed to be doing. You know I got time off from work. The the, the ancients thought in exactly the opposite direction. The time that we had to work. And I think the lot comes out of a quality of spirit that happens with real leisure. We don't really do leisure. We occupy ourselves. I can hardly stand in line at the grocery store now without flipping through my telephone, you know. um, No boredom at all. i got to be doing something. That's not a real quality of spirit. When we have a real quality of spirit and leisure, it gives opportunity for friendship and for discussion and for thought and to do the opposite of oppressing. I think that Kohelet is saying that... Human cruelty, the oppression that comes out of, comes out of a, a, a kind of a constant need for more. For more stuff, for more money, for more things. And the underlying theme of this entire book of Ecclesiastes is, it's amazing what happens with a little bit of humility. When we say to ourselves, you know, self, you're really going after all the wrong things. Or you're at least spending way too much time... An inordinate amount of time on things that don't matter. A little bit of humility says, I've contributed to the problems in the world. I'm I'm to blame for some of this. Not all of it, but for some of it. And so I got to thinking, what are we to do with all of this about suffering and and how we should work? And the need, he goes on, I didn't get to it, but, but for good relationships. I think we're to say... I think Kohelet would say, what are we to do about it? Well, first, nothing. There's nothing we can do about the Hitlers of the world. They came along long before, you know, the 1920s and 30s. There were a lot of Hitlers before Hitler. And there will be a lot more after him. There's nothing we can do to stop personified evil from rising up in the world. But we can do everything to change a culture of hate and violence and oppression. We can do everything. We can do it by, by valuing friendship over faction, by valuing quality over quantity, by valuing relationships over selfishness. I know this is going to just be a difficult thought experiment for you all to try on. <laughs> but I want you to do it. Imagine if our country had no political parties. There would be no party, would there? Hey, we know, where's the fun in that? Right, but just for a moment, think about it. Think about the way that the spirit of competition comes out of pride. The spirit of being better than, other than, different than, The more that one becomes tied to a party, the more they buy into the whole bag, right? You you can't be part of one party without buying in every single identity issue. And then you become opposite of persons who have the other part. It's a wholesale bag, and it cannot not be divisive. It divides us. Um, the same thing goes uh, w- with with all the, the sort of things we have in ideals, opinions about other matters. But what if we approach public policy, politics, from a leisurely standpoint? What if we got together as friends and talked in a leisurely way? Or if you prefer, a leisurely way over these matters. Where we had humility and listened to one another. And if we couldn't At least be civil. But I think civility is the very minimum we should have. We should definitely be civil. But more than civil, we should be humble and allow another person's opinions to kind of dwell with us for a moment. You know, after all, perish the thought. You could be wrong. I could be wrong. Now, I'm preaching to you, but I'm really preaching to me on this matter. I do a really good job of civility. I'm a clergyman, after all. I mean, if we can't put on a a stone face, who can, right? So when I go to people's homes, um, it's funny. Can I walk out of one home, and there's the New York Times laying on the table, and I walk into the next one, and the Wall Street Journal is there. Okay, so I have to, by vocational definition, practice civility. (laughs) But... I don't do a very good job of practicing humility when it comes to thought. Say what you want, you're not changing my mind. You know? And I just let it go in one ear and out the other. Unless it's with my brother-in-law. And then I, I throw off civility, too, and we go at it fisticuffs, you know. But we need to practice humility. And civility. Second thing I think Kohelet would say would be to... um Work to live. Don't live to work. Don't don't pursue a life of stuff. Don't go after things. Um, you know, it's in our language, though, isn't it? Our our identity is wrapped up in in our our careers. Oftentimes, you get on a plane, you're sitting next to some guy you've never met. Hey, I'm Tom, or some lady you never met. Hi, I'm Mary, and I'm in I live in Tuscaloosa, and and I'm in sales. What do you do? When somebody says, what do you do? You know what I always want to say? I like to ride my bicycle. Um, you know, I, uh, I found these great trails the other day. In fact, we did. Mike and I found these really great trails. They would look at me like I had three heads, wouldn't they? What do you do? What's your job? That's the thing that's important. No, it's not. It's, it's not even the most interesting, you know, of the top three most interesting things. Um, what do you do? I'm not saying work shouldn't be important. I'm not saying we shouldn't find satisfaction. I'm not saying there's not a good place to be diligent. And there's nothing wrong with making money. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. I'm saying we cannot allow that to be the priority. The last thing kind of ties into both of these. And that is this. That we need a proper set of values. People matter more than things. Let me say that again. People matter more than things. In case you missed it the first few times. People matter more than things. And what are things? Houses and cars and jewelry and tools and lawnmowers and lawns and things. All the things that we surround ourselves with. None of them matter as much as the people that we are surrounded by. People matter more than things. I think Kohelet wants us to know the bad news and the good news. Here's the bad news Pain is real and it's always going to be with us under the sun. This side of the sun, life is pain, Highness. I think he also wants us to know the good news. We can make life better. We can make life better for ourselves, and we can make life better for other people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.